This morning, our sermon text is very familiar to this church. Uh, it serves as our vision or mission statement, and we want to look at it one more time. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, uh, well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. May God bless the reading of his word. Of year again, we made a a pretty big splash the last couple of weeks about school starting again. But also toward the end of August each year, we have designated this as a time of revisioning of going back and looking again at our vision statement. Now, the reason we do this is we like to remind ourselves of this statement that we have adopted, which we call either mission or vision. Those two words seem to get kind of interchanged, and that's all right. But also, in case we have newer members who have never heard what our vision, our mission statement is, this is a good opportunity for you to explore it along with us. But primarily for our members that have been here for several years and have seen this before and thought about it and heard about it, it's a reminder to set new goals because we believe that the vision statement that we have adopted is one that continually presses us on to spiritual growth, that there is always a new place we can explore, a new thing we can adopt, a new thing we can do that will help us to be more mature disciples and to be more complete disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, our vision statement is this. Uh Uh-oh, come on, Ronnie, is it going? There we go. Nope. It worked first service. We'll get it going here. It froze. Oh, great. We'll get it. <laughs> I'm going to wait it out this time. Last time we, we, we kind of made do last year. That's interesting. That looks promising. Ah! 
<laughs> All right. After the entertainment, our mission statement is this. Yeah, that loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. As we notice, that is a very biblical statement to make because we brought it right out of Mark. It's also in various forms in other Gospels as well. So this is something that we know we can feel good about, that we are not just making something up, but we have brought something directly from God's Word and applied it in the form of our vision statement or our mission statement. Now, some people ask, well, why do you even need a mission statement or a vision statement? Well, it's true that no one short sentence can capture everything that the church is. There is no way in just a brief word. I mean, there are volumes of books written to describe who the church is, what the church is, what the church should be doing. So to boil it all down into one brief statement is going to leave a lot of things out. But why should we try to have one statement that we keep holding before us? For this reason, just like one statement cannot fully describe the church, one church cannot be and do everything that the church needs to be, it needs to be and needs to be doing. One congregation can't do it all. We have to kind of look and say, well, who are we and what of God's purpose can we accomplish? What can we be about? We ministers are really good about going off and taking a course of study or going to a seminar, and we see something that some church is doing, you know, uh, somewhere else in Dallas or in California or somewhere, and we say, oh, good, that's working for them. Let's do it too. Well, sometimes that's a good idea. You know, sometimes you can pick up some great ideas that, that can really work well in your own setting. But the problem is we go to this seminar, that seminar, this seminar, and we've got all these things that we're trying to do. And then we end up feeling bad about ourselves because we're not doing anything very well. So by having a vision statement, we kind of focus ourselves and say, okay, we're one church, one congregation, we're in this culture, we're in this setting, and this statement will help inform us about who we can be and what we can do. The vision statement then goes on to pr provide us direction and organizational structure. It helps us to put together what we're going to do, our programs, what we'll say yes to, what we'll say no to. It gives us a way to think about ourselves. It gives us a language to speak. It gives us something that binds us together because we're all kind of on the same page, and it draws those boundaries well for us. And as I mentioned earlier, it helps us to set goals both as a church and as individuals. Now, that's why I particularly love the vision statement that we currently are working under because it operates on both of those levels. It not only sets up programs for the church, but it also, if we listen to it, reminds each one of us as an individual Christian that we've got some growing to do. No matter where we are, there is always a new plateau to achieve. There's a, another place to go. There is an area of our spiritual lives that can benefit from some attention and some work and some exercise. Now, as we've said, the vision statement comes from Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And this is a story where a young man has come upon Jesus 
who is debating with some of the uh, people of the day who are trying to trick him. They're trying to trip up Jesus and get him to say something that they can go out then and discredit him. For example, one group asked him about taxes. Should you pay taxes or not? Now, that was a loaded question then. I guess it's still a loaded question now, isn't it? But Jesus gave a wonderful answer. You remember that story and how he answered that question. Then another group threw out a question about the resurrection, and they thought they could make Jesus look really silly because they thought he would give some stock answer about resurrection, and they would be able to go out and to say, look, this guy doesn't really know what he's talking about. But he gave them a marvelous answer, one that they couldn't argue with at all. And so when this young man comes along, he seems to be earnestly seeking the truth. He's not trying to trick Jesus. He's not trying to make Jesus look foolish. He wants to learn something from Jesus. So when he saw how wise he was, he asked him this question. There's a lot of commandments that God has given us. Which one should I really focus on? What is the greatest commandment that God has given us? Now, you might think he wouldn't have an answer to that, that he would just say, well, they're all good, and we need to know them all. But Jesus had an answer. And this is what he said. He said something that all, that all the Jewish people of his day got up every morning saying, they would say it at noon, they would say it at 3 o'clock, they would say it before they went to bed. In fact, it even had a name. It's called the Shema. And they would rise from the bed, and the first thing that a Jewish person would think and say every morning was, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. And he said that, but he continued on, and he quoted out of Deuteronomy where this is found. He said, you are then to love that God. You are to love your God, not just with part of yourself, not just have a section of you that is religious, not just with this little slice of your life. You are to love the Lord your God with everything you are, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The man was blown away. He said, you're right. Jesus went on to say that the way that that is seen and expressed is in how you treat each other in the love for your neighbor. And the man said, you're right. It's really all about loving God completely and showing that love then to other people as well. So that is why we looked at that and said, you know, if Jesus says this should be your focus, then let us take that statement and do the best that we can to make it the focus of this church and also to call our individual members to focus on it as well. Jesus' call is to love God with our entire being. Now, it's interesting. Jesus lived long before we had the, the science of psychology. In the intervening years in between Jesus' time and our time, we've learned a lot about human personality. We've learned a lot about who we are and how we function. But we have yet to progress beyond what Jesus said here. 
Jesus said that our whole being is comprised of these parts, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even today, with our knowledge of all we are and whatever names we may give it, whether we stick with uh, id and ego and superego or, or any other terms that some of you psych majors may be learning, you can really boil it back down and say, you know, it really is heart and soul and mind and strength. Our heart is that part of us that is emotional. The heart has our feelings. The heart is relational. The heart wants to relate to other people and to be a part of other people's lives, to feel connected to other people. That is a basic human desire that we all have to some degree, and we are to love God with that part of who we are. We also are to love God with our soul. Our soul is that mysterious inner self that no one but God can touch. You know, it is interesting to stop and think, there is a part of you that even your spouse cannot touch or your best friend. There is a part of you that is just you. And the only being in this universe that can really touch that part of you is God himself. That's where you really connect to God in a mysterious way, in a very deep way, in a way in which you are blown away by God's awesomeness, his vastness, and his power. Well, Jesus says you're supposed to love God with that part of who you are, too. Then he says our mind, that's the intellectual self. The mind is the part of us that's the thinking part, the logical part, the organizing part, the part that we use at work, the part that, you know, when we're sorting things out or we use at school when we're trying to learn. And he says, dedicate that to God, too. Love God with that part of yourself. And then, of course, our strength is our active or doing self, what it is that we do with our bodies, how we serve, and the things, our actions and activities. That's our strength. And Jesus says, love God with that part of yourself as well. So I think you can agree that you can recognize that we have all of those areas of our life, and we kind of skip around uh, in all four of them. Sometimes we combine some. Sometimes we're working out of more than one. But, you know, we can recognize that that pretty much sums up who we are, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. One thing in thinking about this is that we discovered in reading some ancient uh, theologians as well and some modern day too, is the realization that while we have all four of those areas in our life, we tend to operate more easily out of one or two of them than we do the rest. Now, again, that doesn't mean we don't have them all. It's kind of like having two hands. Most of us have two hands, but you're either right-handed or left-handed. Whenever you need to do something that's intricate or something that, that, that requires a dexterity, you select one hand over the other. That's just the one that, that you use most easily. So that can be true in our spirituality, too, that while all four of these areas are in our lives, we tend to favor one over the rest. And that can be good, and that can be bad. If we allow ourselves to only focus on what comes easiest to us. Now, we do need to make sure that the part that comes easiest to us is fed and nurtured. Because after all, that's where we can just really relax and go, 
oh, this is so good, you know? But again, we've got to realize that we have these other areas too. And we can't be content only to love God in the easiest way possible. Now, I want us to look again at these different people and see what it is about each one of them uh, that, and how they relate to God. And if you can, many of you already know basically where you fit into this. You've heard this presentation before. Many of you have taken our, our little evaluation or instrument that helps you identify where you fit in. By the way, we do that in starting point. And I think it's also available online, isn't it, Roy? Uh, If you go to our website, if you say, well, I don't know really which one of these areas is my predominant area, well, we have a little instrument you can go to, and uh, it'll help you figure that out. Uh, Or you can come to Starting Point next week. Ah, Another plug, got it in, all right? But heart people. Now, who are the heart people, and why do we need heart people in the church? Well, heart people... You know, this is very simplistic and very short list. There's a lot we could talk about them. But as we said, heart people tend to feel the presence of God, and they experience the presence of God most easily whenever they're in close relationships with other people. For them to really be, you know, for things to be going well in their spiritual life, they have some close friends that understand them, that love them, that they can love. They have these intimate connections with others. And when they come to church, they come to church primarily to find these connections. And if they don't find those connections in a church, they're pretty much gone before too long because, after all, it just didn't work. You know, I didn't find those close friends that I was looking for that I could walk with on my spiritual journey that we could pray together and hold hands and have devotionals and we could cry. When they come to worship, they want worship to be relational. They want, to make, they want worship to make us feel good. Uh, they want worship to be emotional. They want worship to be expressive. And that's what heart people are looking for. Therefore, we need heart people because that's what they bring to us. They bring to us a reminder of the beautiful uh, relationship that we can have not only with God but with one another as well. All right, soul people. Why do we need soul people around here? Well, soul people uh, sense a oneness with God and find inner peace in the mystery of God. Soul people bring depth to who we are. Soul people like for worship to be quiet. I was thinking about that this morning when uh, Scott started singing a song during the Lord's Supper. It's funny how that little practice really shows the difference between different spirituality types. Because when we do that, we always have some folks come up and say, Oh, I'm so glad we sang during the Lord's Supper. That just is so good. I love that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you like to sing during the Lord's Supper. But soul people don't particularly like that because the Lord's Supper is, that's about the closest you get to God in any kind of formal way. And it is such an awe-inspiring moment to take that bread and to take that cup that we just need to sit and be quiet. Well, we try sometimes. Sometimes we sing, sometimes we don't. And uh, if, if you're sitting there sometime during the Lord's Supper, 
and nothing is happening, and you're going, okay, why aren't we doing something now? Well, just think, but the soul people are loving it, okay? <laughs> We're quiet, and it's just, it's just nice, and they're able to focus on that, that inner connection that they have with God. And that's a part of this whole thing. I know I keep going back over that, but a part of this whole thing is for us to learn to put up with each other and to learn that, that we are different. And just because one group of people wants to do things one way doesn't make them, you know, some kind of heretics or some kind of troublemakers because they don't want to do it the way I want to do it, but rather we embrace one another and realize that we need to provide for all and we need to be tolerant of all. All right, mind people. Mind people love to think about God. They love Bible study. And they feel like that church has been successful if they hear something new. You know, if you go to Bible class and you learn something new, then that was a great Bible class. You know, heart people, you know, it doesn't really matter as much. But if you made a new friend, it was a wonderful Bible class. Uh, soul people, hmm. <laughs> if, you, if you read one of the Psalms, that would be really good then. But your mind people love Bible study. And, and uh, churches of Christ have traditionally been uh, dominated by mind people. But the problem is we kept having children, and our children weren't all mind people. And they wanted to clap while we sang, you know. And mind people like for worship. You know, the main reason you come to worship is to hear the sermon. Thank you, mind folks. Okay, like that. All right. Okay. The main reason you come is to hear something and to learn something. So worship just needs to pretty much stay in the same order. And it gets a little uncomfortable if we start flipping things around or doing some things that we don't normally do because after all, you know, we're supposed to do it this way and then get to the sermon. All right? Okay, well, like I said, the problem is that even though we used to be dominated by mind people, this church is dominated as we've learned from giving this instrument out, this church is dominated by heart. You're right. We've got all four groups, but heart is by far the more dominant. And 40, 50 years ago, if you had gone to a church of Christ, that would not have been the case. Uh, I've, I've often heard uh, people that have been members of churches of Christ for a long time say, things have really changed. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest changes right there. But I see that as a good thing, too, because used to, if a church was just dominated by one uh, way of doing things, whenever you had your children and they weren't like you or friends weren't like you, what did they do? They left. We don't want to be a church that people leaves just because we don't recognize who they are and how they relate to God. We really want to be a church that's trying to relate to God in all four of these areas. All right, I'm starting to preach, which might not be a bad thing to do since I'm standing up here in the pulpit. Strength people. Strength people think we ought to get out there and do things for other people. That's where they feel the closest connection to God is when they're handing out groceries or they're, they're volunteering for some kind of a service project where they really can see that they are touching the lives of others. These people will point out to you Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is standing there on the day of judgment. He separates the sheep from the goats. And what is his standard of separation? You people gave me food when I was hungry. These people gave me clothes when I didn't have any clothes. These people came and visited me 
when I was sick. So it is a very important area of our lives, isn't it? It's one that we need to be involved in. It's one that we need to make sure that this church is providing for ways to, for people to get involved in serving others because it is such an important part of what God's plan for us, as Jesus tells us. Now, service people, when they come to church, uh, that's fine and good, but they want something to whip them up and to make sure that everybody leaves and goes out here and does something for everyone. You know? And they judge a church by how actively it's involved in touching the lives of other people. We need these strength people. We need their conscience. We need for them to keep telling us that this is an important part of our spiritual lives. All right, well, let's make two observations, or one anyway, observations about all of this. I hope that it's come across that what we're saying is this. Since we all kind of favor one area over another, and that's where we're most comfortable, then we are stronger together than we are apart. This is another rationale of why we need to be a part of a church. We need to be a part of a body. We need to join with people whose strengths are different from ours because together we are stronger than we are than we are apart. Heart people bring friendship and warmth and relationship to this body. Soul people bring depth and reflection. Mind people bring sound doctrine and practice. You know, every once in a while we need a mind person to stand up and say, wait a minute. Should we be doing that? It says right here in the Bible this. And we go, oh, yeah, the Bible. You know, we were having a good time and forgot about that. <laughs> and so we need people that study the Bible religiously and thoroughly and call us back and say, look, we need to study this. We need strength people to make sure that we're out there serving as well. But all that while, while we recognize and celebrate that we have our, our, our certain areas that we are more prone to operate in, we go back. Take a deep breath and say, Jesus said that we as individuals should love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. So we can't just be satisfied by saying, well, I'm a heart person, so this is the way I do it. Because Jesus calls on us to grow our whole being. You know, every once in a while, we'll do something here. And we'll say, okay, we're going to go do this. And a handful of folks will show up to go do it. And I will mention or someone will mention to people, well, you know, we really missed you at this event. We could have used you. And they say, well, that's not my thing. Okay, I understand that. But isn't it your thing to expand and to grow and to mature and if there is an activity or an area that you don't feel real comfortable in, the call of Jesus to you is to explore that and to grow. If you are not a relationship person, then join a connection group. You know, they're going to sit you down in a living room in a cozy situation, and they're going to start talking about what's going on in their lives and hearts. And if that's not who you are, you're going to sort of squirm around a little bit, <laughs> you know? But keep at it, because you need to grow in that area. By the way, if you are a relationship person, join a connection group, 
Because that's where you're going to find your groove, you know. That's where it's really going to come alive for you, is in that close, intimate relationship with these other people. Soul, folks, if you need to grow in your soul, one of the best things I could tell you is spiritual disciplines. Uh, We do this in our bulletin weekly. You have a little section called Spiritual Journey. It's a Bible study for the mind, folks. But it's also, you know, uh, us soul folks, we like to read Scripture as well and practice the disciplines that especially those who bring us to God and to quietness and to meditation. Now, it's interesting that the connection groups this year are studying spiritual disciplines. So you get a double whammy there. You know, even the soul people, because soul people tend to be loners. You know, soul people go to their closet to pray. Soul people go and find a room that nobody else is in, and they sit there and experience God. Well, that's good. That's good. But we need to also connect. So you soul people, they're going to be studying spiritual disciplines this time in connection groups. So there's forms right there. You can sign up online. You can call the office. Uh, I encourage you to explore that. Mind people, we have Bible study all the time. I hope you went to Bible class today. Uh, first service, I was able to put a better guilt trip on the people because Bible class was coming after first service. I said, don't leave. Uh, it's fun to tell people that and then stand at the door. <laughs> People that are normally really friendly to me as they leave are walking away like this. <laughs> I know Bible study may not be something that just really turns you on. You know, it, it, it's funny to mind people because they think that's where it's at. Well, we need to push ourselves to make sure that we're staying in the Word and that we're growing in that. We may not end up being the greatest Bible student ever or the greatest Bible scholar even in this congregation but we're exposing ourselves continually to the Word of God. And by the way, I want to plug a class that we're starting Wednesday night. Uh, Now, this one, I can uh, put a guilt trip on you. Wednesday night, if you're not already involved in some other program of this church, and you can get here at 7 o'clock, here in the auditorium, we're going to start a discussion for several weeks on such subjects as resurrection, death, heaven, hell, eternity, the return of Christ, all that eschatological stuff. Where do we go when we die? What's eternity going to be like? What is this about new earth, new heaven? We're going to explore all those ideas on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock here in the auditorium. Pure and simple Bible study. So if you need to grow in your Bible study skills, we'll come and join us there. Of course, the strength attitude, that strength uh, a di- dynamic here at Johnson Street is very strong. Uh, Rust Street provides us with an endless opportunity to touch the lives of people. And if you've got any time at all in your week, you can carve out to do something that actually blesses the lives of others in physical and tangible ways. Talk to Bob, call Janet Branham, call Rust Street offices, and tell them that you have some time to volunteer. Talk to Maria Gonzalez, who does Kids Eat. If you've got a job where you have spare time in the summers, uh, then Maria can use you to help feed young, uh, hungry kids uh, during the summer. Doug's always looking for people to help him at the CCC uh, with the, the needs of that college group. Uh, talk to him. On and on we go with the various ministries that are available here at Johnson Street, but I encourage you to do that. All right, point that I wanted to make before we close today is that this statement really pushes. 
It pushes us as a church. It pushes us as individuals. We must have enough love for God that we don't want to just leave where we are and be who we are. We want to grow up. We want to be mature. We want to be addressing all four of these areas in our lives, feeding them, nurturing them, giving them opportunity to grow. Now, we may have folks here today that they need to take the first step of discipleship to express faith in Christ, to be baptized into his name so that you can wear his name and so that you can receive his spirit to help you to grow and be the person God is calling you to be. Well, that's the first step. And we're going to all stand in a moment, sing a song. There'll be leaders of this congregation around, and you can go to them, and they will help you with those first steps. But beyond that, for the rest of us, let's make this a year of growth. Pick an area, at least one area, that's not your thing, and grow. Let's stand and sing.